You're listening to Talking Pictures. Hello and welcome to Talking Pictures, your essential guide to the movies with me, Frida Cooper. And on this week's show, the film with the alternative title of Spot Paul McCartney. Pirates of the Caribbean, Salazar's Revenge. How would you like to die, pirate? Hanging? Firing squad? Or a new invention, the guillotine? Guillotine? Sounds French. I love the French. Did you know that they invented mayonnaise? How bad could it be? It's French, eh? Now that wasn't McCartney, it was Johnny Depp as usual, sounding strangely Australian this time. He's also in the hot seat for this week's big interview. On DVD, there's Mel Gibson's Oscar winner, Hacksaw Ridge. So come you don't fight? Are you thinking better than us? No. But what if he was attacked? Huh. Whoa! Say <laughs> like that. Bible says to turn the other cheek, don't it? See, I don't think this is a question of religion, fellas. I think this is cowardice. Plus, there's the top five at the British box office and the latest movie news headlines, all in the next 20 minutes. So to this week's new releases, and they're dominated by the latest from Disney. Pirates of the Caribbean, Salazar's Revenge, number five in the franchise, and it's in cinemas now, Certificate 12A. And in case you're wondering, there is going to be a number six, which means it's a pretty safe bet that Johnny Depp will be back again, yet again, as Captain Jack Sparrow. As we can hear on this week's big interview, it's a character he knows inside out, and he should do by now. There are many pirates in rock and roll, you know, um, but the one that I, I, I thought would, would, would fit the bill was Keith Richards as a kind of the, the basis for the character. So then, then you start getting into the abstract of Keith Richards and Pepe Le Pew, you know, <laughs> and, you, and you sort of amalgamize these two guys, you put them together, and then you start, you think, well, this character... Uh, was was raised on a ship, clearly. So when he's on a ship, he's sort of fine. When he's on land, he can't stand... It, everything's a bit like that. Because of his irreverence, which is more sort of innocence than irreverence, there's a purity to Jack. There's something of him that's, that just says whatever comes out of his mouth and then deals with it. Maybe realises it about five and a half seconds later because he's a little scrambled up top. He is able to get away with things that we'd love to be able to get away with. And I feel, I feel it when, I, when I'm playing Jack, you know, Captain Jack. There's a real safety in playing him for me because I can always... I, it doesn't matter what anybody asks me. I can always answer back quite quickly. I think what we've done here is come up with... New angles, new, new, you know, surprises. Things are a bit more bizarre, a bit more, you know, kind of dark even. And then some really funny stuff in, in there as well. So I think it will have the surprise, that element of surprise that the, that the first had, you know. 
Well, I hate to disappoint you, Mr Depp, but there isn't much in the way of surprises here, except for the fact that the franchise has made it to number five. And it seems that Disney themselves thought it needed a breath of fresh air because they've brought in two new directors, and they've not done too badly. This episode starts with Jack down on his luck, robbing a bank, dicing with death, all the usual stuff. But there is big trouble looming on the horizon in the shape of Captain Salazar and his ghost pirates, who are hell-bent on killing anything or anybody that stands in their way. And Jack is top of their list. To get rid of them, well, he needs to track down something called the Trident of Poseidon, but let's face it, he'll do anything to save his scrawny Depp might be the star of the film, but he is also its biggest liability. He seriously looks like he's run out of steam, or interest, or both. And all that hammy gurning is like a bucket of cold water over what should be the laughs. The new directors, unfortunately, couldn't extend their fresh perspective to him, and he is one very tired-looking sparrow. Now, like last week, we have yet another celebrity cameo. Last time, it was the risible David Beckham in King Arthur. Now, it's no less than Paul McCartney, looking like he's borrowed Depp's costumes and his makeup artist. He does his best with his lines, doesn't take his moment too seriously, and he's probably got about the right idea. The film has some good set pieces, but it really is desperately over-reliant on CGI and a good half hour too long. The climax seems to go on forever. Yet Disney does look to be on course for yet another winner at the box office. And of course, there is number six to come. But perhaps the subheading for that should be Sparrow's Farewell. From pirates way back when to bad guys in the here and now. This is Detour. Now go wherever it's going and have your boring, miserable life because I can guarantee it'll be a whole lot better than being in debt to Johnny. I'm not going to be in debt to Johnny because I'm going to pay him. What do you think happens when Johnny's running low on cash? Hey, Harper. Hey, my my car broke down. I'm going to need a little extra cash. Well, then I'll say no. And he'll politely remind you. One phone call from him. You're going straight to jail. Yeah, and so is he. No, no, because you see, Johnny can call about 20 maniacs in prison, all doing life without parole who for a case of cigarettes will say they killed your stepdad and you paid him to do it. Ty Sheridan getting a reality check from Belle Poli in Detour, which is in cinemas and online now, certificate 15, and he needs it because he's done something rather stupid. His mother's in a coma. He blames his stepfather and he spends most of his evenings on the bottle, except that after one particularly heavy night, he wakes up to find local bad boy Johnny on his doorstep. Apparently, he's employed him to kill his stepfather, and Johnny is not taking no for an answer. Now, this is a noir thriller with a plot like a corkscrew, taking you off in one different direction after another and never allowing you to settle, which is absolutely fine, because the result is a really tense 90 minutes. It's a film, strangely enough, that owes its story to a rom-com, the 1998 movie Sliding Doors, which looked at what happened when Gwyneth Paltrow caught her tube on one particular day and what happened when she didn't. Director Christopher Smith also does something rather different with the usually cliched split-screen technique. Instead of just dividing the screen into two, he shows you different scenarios all happening at the same time, or allowing you to watch what a character is doing in one frame and what they're thinking at the same time in another. Sometimes we even get parallel storylines, 
but what it does is to add to the tension and the slick style of the movie. The young cast are great. Indie regular Ty Sheridan in the lead, Britt Balpoli as a resourceful hooker, and Emery Cohen as Johnny. Now, if the name doesn't ring a bell, think of the straight-up romantic lead in Brooklyn last year. He's almost unrecognisable as a young thug covered with tats, and he put me in mind of the chameleon that is Ben Foster. This small, sharp indie movie isn't getting massive distribution, but it really deserves to find an audience. If you love a noir thriller, this is one detour that's very much worth the trip. You're listening to Talking Pictures. No clip for the next new release because it's in Chinese. I Am Not Madame Bovary is in cinemas now, certificate 12A, a wry comedy drama about one solitary peasant woman who takes on local politicians and the judiciary in her fight to have her divorce declared null and void. Now, this isn't just about making the audience laugh or indeed casting a searching light on the shortcomings of the Chinese legal system and its unfathomable bureaucracy because the thing that hits you between the eyes are the visuals. Scenes in the town where the woman lives show each camera shot in a circular frame. It concentrates the eye, but it's also strangely liberating for the cinematographer, allowing the circle to caress the image or allowing him to divert your eye even within such a confined space. And when the story moves away from the town, the photography is framed differently in something approaching 4-3 ratio. Now it's all straight lines, right angles, formality and stiffness, just like the government officials and the judges. Row upon row of self-important men who are more interested in protecting themselves and their own positions than resolving her complaint. But they're no match for the canny woman who outfoxes them at every turn. It's spellbinding, it's ironic, and it's an eye-opening insight into modern Chinese life, one where the one-child policy lingers on and high-tech gadgets exist alongside traditional acrobats. It may be overwordy at times, and perhaps it's longer than it should be, but it's an immensely rewarding and enlightening watch. From China to Czechoslovakia in the 18th century, in Interlude in Prague. Come. Drink your wine. I would rather not. Well, I would rather you did. You see, although we are not yet formally betrothed, I am intent on you learning a lesson tonight. A very menacing James Purefoy in Interlude in Prague in Cinemas Now, Certificate 15. A film that's overshadowed by another movie from the mid-80s, Amadeus. Because this time Mozart is brought to the city by a wealthy baron and while he's there starts composing Don Giovanni. A young soprano catches his eye and they soon begin an affair. But the baron has his own plans for the girl and when he finds out that she and Mozart are lovers, he's determined to put a stop to it. Now, this gives us a rather different portrait of Mozart from the giggling, crass, lascivious one in Amadeus, although he is still something of a flirt with the ladies. And Aniron Barnard brings just enough intensity to the role to make him convincing. The showpiece part, however, goes to James Purefoy, who we heard in the clip, and he inhabits the loathsome Baron with more than a little relish. 
For the most part, though, the script is flat and makes life unduly hard for the rest of the cast, especially Aid Edmondson, who is no straight actor and is embarrassingly miscast. You keep expecting him to whip off his wig and reveal those star-shaped studs on his forehead. Interlude in Prague is heavy going all round. Unfortunately, that even includes Mozart's music. It's a very long interlude and a less than diverting one. You're listening to Talking Pictures. Finally, to a film with no dialogue. It's not silent because there are sounds, but nobody actually speaks. In the animation The Red Turtle, we follow a man who's shipwrecked on a desert island and is desperate to escape, but his efforts are sabotaged time after time by an unseen enemy until it reveals itself, a giant red turtle. The man is nameless, he never speaks, nor does the woman that eventually joins him by magical means. They have a son, and together they lead what seems like an idyllic life on the island. But as we learn from the violent storm at the very start, this is no paradise. The film is stunning in its simplicity and beauty, with its hand-drawn animation and muted colour palette. And that simplicity, coupled with a pared-down style, makes the film incredibly moving. It's a circle of life story, perhaps an allegory, even a dream. But this elegant film explores themes that are as deep as the ocean, and it has the capacity to move and stir like very few other films this year. This is Talking Pictures. What the hell is your delay, Captain? We're waiting, sir. Waiting for what? Private Doss. Who the hell is Private Doss? On to this week's DVDs, and that bad-tempered officer is about to discover all about Private Doss in Mel Gibson's Hacksaw Ridge, the true story of a conscientious objector in the American army during World War II one who single-handedly rescued 75 soldiers in one of its bloodiest battles and did it without firing a shot. In some ways, Mel Gibson's style as a director hasn't changed much since Braveheart. He's still very Hollywood and very soft-centred, and we see all that in the first part of the film, which traces Desmond's home life, his romance with his future wife and his beliefs. But that all stops in the second half, where we're plunged straight into battle. The tone, the style, the impact and the appearance of the film all change radically. Now it's all about the blood, the heat, the brutality of war, and Gibson does not spare our sensitivities. British actor Andrew Garfield gives a knockout performance as Doss, who runs around like a man possessed as he tries to save as many soldiers as possible, even though everybody else has long retreated. The climax is tense and involving, and if you didn't see this first time round at the cinema, you should grab it now. Back to pre-war days for this week's other DVD, the gangster movie Live By Night. We're hoping you can talk some sense into ID Pro. Ain't too many people ever had much success doing that. We'd like you to try. And what would the reason be? His self-preservation. He needs to stop shooting up my clubs. Ben Affleck taking care of business in Live By Night, a film that has his name all over it. Director, producer, writer and star. And it's his first film as a director since the Oscar winner Argo. This is a bootlegging saga from the 1920s with Affleck as a small-time crook who falls foul of the local Irish mob and ends up in jail. When he comes out, he has only one thing on his mind and that, of course, is revenge. 
Now, it's a pretty conventional gangster saga, with Affleck the actor moving from one opponent to another. He's bulky and intimidating enough, but gives a very one-note performance. Affleck the director gives us some strong single images and the occasional good action sequence, but they're few and far between, and it's really quite hard to get involved with either the characters or the complicated plot. Even die-hard gangster fans are going to find it hard to get excited about this one. This is Talking Pictures. This is Talking Pictures. This is Talking Pictures. With Frida Cooper. And that's this week's lineup. My film of the week this time is a bit of a no-brainer and it's in a class of its own. The Red Turtle. Definitely one to look out for and to see on the big screen. If Johnny Depp and his pirates don't make it into the box office charts and indeed the top five next week, I shall be incredibly surprised. The kids are on holiday and even if the weather's nice, sometimes a bit of air conditioning doesn't go amiss. As for what's been putting bums on seats this week, well, here's the new top five at the British box office. Just two new entries this week and one of them goes straight to the top of the pile. At number five, believe it or not, the boss baby is still hanging on. In at number four comes the first new entry and that is Snatched, while Guardians of the Galaxy 2 is down to number three. Alien Covenant could only manage one week at the top and is down into second place, which means the Cockney King has made it to the top. Oh, blimey, it's King Arthur. You've got the wrong man, sire. I was born in a brothel on a bridge in Londinium. The sword can only be drawn by Uther Pendragon or his direct heir. You felt it, didn't you? The power is what put you out. You just don't know how to control it. In this week's movie news headlines and in the week when the Boss Baby is still in the top five, Universal and DreamWorks have announced Boss Baby 2. A long pregnancy though because the film won't arrive until 2021. Jessica Chastain is set to play Swedish actress Ingrid Bergman in a film about her relationship with war photographer Robert Kapper. And this, of course, was the week that we said goodbye to Sir Roger Moore. You're listening to Talking Pictures. And that's all from this week's Talking Pictures. On next week's show, the film that could change everything for the DC Universe, Wonder Woman. Never let your guard down. You expect a battle to be fair. A battle will never be fair. And there's a powerful lineup of DVDs, including Mike Nichols Loving and Natalie Portman as Jackie. They wanted to share my grief, so I let them. But after I realised that all the pageantry, all the demands I made to honour him, it wasn't for Jack or his legacy. It was for me. Plus, there's the top five at the British box office and the latest movie news headlines. So I'll be back with another edition of Talking Pictures next week. Until then, enjoy the movies. (laughs) 